Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. How do you have any, like, home remedies to cure my sore throat and stuffy nose? Fire. And plenty of it. Coming to you almost live from the depths of Arkham Asylum, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. We have a lot of great stuff for you this episode, including, uh, what have we got? We've got some uh, highlights from our birthday bash with the Edmontonian. We've also got a rant from Adam. But before we get to any of that, we have a very special guest in the studio today. A friend of ours from Parts... Well, Somewhat no, known. Known, yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, he's from here, and then he moved away. To a place that is also known. But but not known to many, I, or some. I, I think the place you're talking about is the center of the universe. Yeah, actually, he's from Toronto. This is Daniel Kazor, a page editor, web editor, and skeptic from the National Post in Toronto. Hey, all. Welcome, Dan. It's glad. Uh, uh, it's gratifying. Self-gratifying. It's, <laughs> it's awesome to have you in the studio today. Um, before we jump into the interview with you, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, Dan. I'm, I know you know it, Scott. You were away. I was away. Uh, and now I'm back. And now you're back. Uh, Adam was away a few episodes ago, and I kind of manhandled the episode by myself. You definitely manhandled it. Uh, ben Jelena got in touch with me and asked why you were so rough. <laughs> so aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and then I was away, and you did an episode by yourself, uh, manhandling that one. It as was well. terrifying, and uh, because you've never actually done any of the editorial work on the show ever, Oops. so <laughs> so it was definitely a learning experience for me. But we're finally both back together in the studio at the same time, and it feels good. It does, doesn't it? It's, it, it's probably as, terrifying for Dan. It, yeah, he looks kind of scared. It's kind of a homoerotic. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> we're not trying hard enough. Ah, damn it. <laughs> So yes, I was away. Uh, and where were you exactly? I was in Indianapolis, Indiana. What is in Indianapolis, Indiana? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, I was away at Gen Con, and which is uh, short for Geneva Convention. But it's not that Geneva Convention. It's an entirely different one. That's actually kind of disappointing. <laughs> in a way, but more fun. Uh, yeah. Gen Con is uh, one of North America's largest gaming conventions. Not, not video gaming. Mm-hmm. We're not talking E3 here. It would be board games, card games, role-playing games, stuff that anybody who's listened to our show before knows that I'm a huge nerd for. Uh, and I went down with uh, with Anita and some of our friends, and uh, we were gone for about two weeks. Yeah. We road-tripped down, which was awesome. And then we were there for several well, days, and then we road-tripped on. back, which was also awesome. I know that awesome entails so much, but you guys got into a little bit of trouble on the road when you were driving down there, didn't you? We got in so much trouble. What no, ha- it's what? Not, not even really true. There, we, were, there we were zombies, did, weren't there? We did hit a deer on the way. <laughs> I'd say you, and I know Dan has some experience I, with this. I, I, I have Hitting been in a car life. that has hit a deer. Yeah. I was not driving. I, I blame that entirely on David Zeben. Who uh, probably doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> well, no, of course he does. I mean, uh, naturally. Well, you know, mm. it's, we're involved, he must. Uh, yeah. But you did encourage him to hit the deer, as I understand. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was like... Look at that! Uh, look at that uh, MF. Uh, let's just <laughs> drive over him. I said MF too because you know I was like twenty. I, yeah, yeah. I hadn't learned how to swear yet. Yeah, no, no, it was <laughs> the tender age of twenty. Yeah, many years ago. 
So you so, made a deer, uh, and this must because you guys you rented. No, you we didn't. we had in fact borrowed Anita's grandmother's Aerostar van. Oh dear, uh, 1994 Aerostar with like 20 kilometers on it, <laughs> uh, fairly pristine condition, uh, and uh, five minutes out of Edmonton, boom, and the deer probably suffered less damage than the van. Oh my, because it limped away. So I'm just <laughs> saying. So did the van. Now, Dan, when you hit a deer or or whatever it was, a sheep. It suffered some injury, as did the vehicle you were in, but it suffered further injury later on. Y- yes. Uh, we we were about 50 or 60 feet down the road. We got out. Uh, eventually, the, the truck driver that we had sort of swerved to not hit, um, and that's how the deer got hit, uh, he called the, the, the park ranger, uh, and the park ranger came out, and the driver of the car was, was with the park ranger, you know, 50 feet back on, on the road. And uh, myself and another person in the va- in the car were standing by the car, and we thought, "Oh, the park ranger has a tranquilizer gun. <laughs> He's going to put the deer to sleep so he can fix up his leg." No, <laughs> that was not the case. You see, deer in this country apparently are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. So he made he he off to the deer. Yeah, and it w- wasn't really a deer; it was more of a mountain goat. Okay, but I think those sti- are two entirely different animals. Actually, <laughs> it, 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 it was still very hurt by getting hit by a car. <laughs> uh. The deer incident was only a very small portion of the trip. Naturally. But uh, one of the more eventful, we uh, we ran into some Transformers in Chicago. That was interesting. Yeah, you've got some pictures up on TwitPic. If you guys want to follow Scotty Bomb on Twitter and go back through his timeline. You can uh, you can see that because they were filming Transformers 3 across the street from where we parked. What are the chances? Seriously? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't actually know that. Yeah. In, uh, in, in Chicago. Oh, Chicago. In Chicago. Ah, the Windy City. And then, of course... Uh, Many days of Gen Conning in uh, a heat wave stricken Indianapolis. That was awesome. And uh, much fun occurred. All right, very quickly before we get to our interview with Dan, because I don't want to waste his time listening to us talk. My precious, precious time. <laughs> yeah, Dan's, Dan's here on vacation and he's an expat, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that. But uh, highlight of, the, of Gen Con for you, what was it, Scott? Uh, I got my picture taken with Will Wheaton. Cool. Who is kind of a geek celebrity now. Um, known for being a geek more than for being a celebrity, I think. It's actually kind of funny how he's gone from, like, a very small period of time where he was reviled for his role on The Next Generation. And now he is basically the guy who carries the banner of geekness. And is really awesome. Yeah. Might I go on record saying. He, uh, he delivered a, I want to say a speech kind of a keynote, yeah. perhaps. Uh, he, he did a panel um, where he... Well, not even a panel. This is the only guy there. It's not like there were other people there. <laughs> but he uh, he had a uh, a speech that he... Uh, several anecdotes that he shared with, like, 800 people, uh, which I had the opportunity to see, and just fantastic stories. A great storyteller, really friendly, uh, very enthusiastic, goes off on wild tangents that are just hilarious. Like, he was just a pleasure to uh, to sit and listen to for an hour. And uh, if you have the opportunity and you're a big nerd, definitely seek out an opportunity to see, see Will Wheaton talk. He, he is definitely, I won't go as far as say inspirational. Yeah, it sounds like you're, you're almost there, though. But, uh, but very entertaining. So if you do want to meet Will Wheaton, we recommend you uh, buy a lawn chair, uh, drive down to, I believe, California. Yes. And uh, find his house. And sit outside. And, and sit outside and just wait for him to come out. I understand that that is the best way to meet celebrities. 
That's uh, that's why you've got so many celebrity autographs on restraining orders. That's why I'm not allowed in the state of California. It's, it's probably more effective than you think. <laughs> you seem so sure of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> So The Unknown Studio recently celebrated its first birthday, along with our uh, sister website, theedmontonian.com, uh, a couple months late, but better late than never. Uh, as part of the party, we invited special media guests to uh, come and celebrate with us by reading from celebrity autobiographies or doing readings of ridiculous song lyrics. Uh, obviously, many of our listeners weren't able to be there, but we did want to share the evening with you, so here is an excerpt from the evening, this is City TV breakfast television host Ryan Jesperson reading from the autobiography of Larry King and View Weekly News editor Samantha Power uh, doing a reading of a song by the Insane Clown Posse. Uh, the uh, sound quality is a little off because of the way we had to record the evening, but uh, if you bear with us, it's a hilarious piece of what was a fantastic night. Enjoy. Okay, well, uh, I don't envy whoever's following that. <laughs> uh, and on that note, uh, next up we have one of Edmonton's media darlings. So, uh, he and his wife recently featured in the Edmonton Journal, and if you're really lucky, they might invite you over for dinner sometime. So he is the host of Breakfast Television on City TV. He also loves birthday cake, not to mention the Edmontonian and the Unknown Studio, and that's why he jumped at the chance to join you all tonight, toasting, in his words, a couple of the coolest initiatives in the city. Again, his words. Uh, if he sucks right now, please go easy on him. He has been awake since 4 a.m. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Jesperson. Taking his way from the back. follow Claussen's video or that, uh, I feel like a bit of a loser for actually showing up to the party. <laughs> Mr. Belding looks like he's uh, two scotches away from a heart attack. <laughs> Slightly disturbed right now. I'm going to read uh, a little bit from Larry King and his remarkable journey. I'm fascinated by the man, always have been. Uh, I think he's incredible at what he does. I think his personal life is a complete disaster. <laughs> I think that uh, it would be fascinating to watch his production team work. He gets the biggest interviews. Uh, he asks the best questions in the fewest words, etc., etc. Larry King uh, is someone that we can learn a lot from, uh, mostly from his mistakes, probably. But uh, here we go. If you were living in Miami, this is me as Larry King. <laughs> The hidden egomaniac starting to bubble up. I love reading from Larry King in my own words into the mirror. It's nice to have you all here. Here we go. If you were living in Miami, I was everywhere you looked or listened. In 1962, I moved to WIOD, the largest radio station in the area. My interviews could be heard on weeknights from 9 to midnight. I'd also climbed to the top of the ladder in local TV, leaving Channel 10, the coming-of-age ABC affiliate, and joining Channel 4. The CBS affiliate that dominated the market, I now had interview segments at 6 and 11 every Saturday and Sunday. My Sunday shows were on each side of 60 minutes, which actually bombed at its inception because it aired on Tuesday nights opposite Bonanza. <laughs> One of the reasons it was moved to Sunday was that it did well in that time slot in Miami. I was churning out my newspaper column for the Miami Herald and speaking at events across the city. 
When William F. Buckley, a founder of the conservative movement, came to visit Miami, he joked, I can't escape you. Again and again, my talents and clout kept me out of trouble. The station manager might call me in with complaints from the husband of a woman I'd had an affair with. <laughs> Larry, you're so good. Why do you have to do things like this? But what could he do? I was Mr. Miami. When the Dolphins arrived as an NFL expansion team and the first color commentator on the broadcast crew wasn't very good, who did they turn to in order to draw more listeners? Here, Larry King, Sunday on Dolphins football. My social life was as out of control as my finances. David Letterman's made fun of me for being married seven times to six different women. What he actually doesn't know is that it's really eight marriages to seven. I can't explain it, but I can tell you something I've always believed. What you're like at 20 is not what you're like at 30, and what you're like at 30 is not what you're like at 40, and so on. And when you look at the world that way, three marriages in a lifetime might be healthy. But no matter how you look at it, eight is not. <laughs> I never told anybody about the first time I got married. It was in Florida. Not even my brother. There was no wedding party. I was this young kid. I got into an affair with a beautiful woman 10 years older than me. Annette was 34. I'd never known such a thing growing up in Brooklyn. Going out with a woman 10 years older than me? Come on. But she was a mentor in a way. It was crazy. And she was probably made more adventurous by the fact that she was married when I met her. Annette had three kids, her marriage obviously not working out, and after she got divorced, she told me that she'd done so because of me and insisted that I marry her. She could be very controlling, and I was never good at saying no, so we were married at Broward City Hall, but I was young and I wasn't going to be boxed in, so I never lived with her. I can't remember seeing her much after the wedding. Maybe a couple of times divorce papers were filed as a matter of course. <laughs> One thing I've learned is you can never plan to fall in love. You simply cannot say today it's going to happen. I'm going to fall in love. And if you ever do meet someone and it does happen, you can't get out of it. Events may push you out of it, but you can't get out of it. No one's ever explained it. Shakespeare tried. The best I can do is to describe the feeling like this. Falling in love is when you meet someone and she says, I'll call you at six and five after six comes and she hasn't called and you're out of your mind. That's what it was like with Aline. I met her when I was doing a show at Pumpernick's about Playboy bunnies. She came with her cousin. <laughs> Aline was too young to be a bunny at the time. The age requirement was 21 and she was 20, but she would become one and I was attracted to her right away. The only experience I had to compare it with at the time was what I felt for the Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> When you develop an attachment to a team, your emotional well-being is dependent on the actions of others. The Dodgers could make me very happy, or they could hurt me terribly without their even knowing it. An innocent girl can do the same. Oh, I'll call you later. The courting stage was not simple. Aline had a five-year-old son when I met her. I mean, that wasn't a problem. Andy was a great kid, and he made me feel like a bit of a big shot. I'll never forget the day the adoption became official. The judge asked Andy if he liked his new name, and when Andy told him yes, I felt a surge of pride like I'd never known. All of a sudden, I was telling people that I had a child. I've always considered myself a good dad. I just wasn't a very good husband. I was always off in my own direction, even when I was married. A part of me always felt single. Then again, this was not your Aussie and Harriet type of marriage. I'd step into the bathroom and find bunny costumes hanging. <laughs> The Playboy Club was a new type of experience back then. The sexual revolution was underway, and as a bunny, Aline was making three times my income in tips. She had a very low voice and didn't talk a lot, and she came off as very mysterious. I may not have been very good at fidelity. <laughs>
But I was intensely jealous at the same time. Once, Aline came home and told me there was a guy who came every day for lunch, sat at her table, and tipped her 50 bucks no matter what he ate. Playboy bunnies weren't allowed to wear wedding rings, and he assumed she was single. The guy was shy and obviously enamored. She wasn't sure how to handle it, and I followed up the next day with a couple of friends and took over the next table. Hey, there's my wife, I shouted as loud as I could and broke the guy's heart. It's impossible to know what happens to that feeling over time. Where does it go? Aline and I divorced. After we were separated, I introduced her to a guy who had a jazz show. A sort of Pied Piper of the times, free love and all that went with it. And he took Aline off to Iowa. It was a blow to my ego, which might explain why I rebounded by marrying a woman who worked at the radio station. <laughs> The marriage did not work out for long, and to this day, the woman wishes to remain anonymous, and I'm going to respect her wishes. <laughs> but I can't overlook something that's difficult for me to talk about. We had a daughter. When this woman fell in love with another guy, she asked that he be allowed to adopt the child. Outside of the time in front of the microphone, my life was out of control, and I went along with the woman's wishes. It seemed like the right thing to do, so I did it. And when Aline returned from Iowa, the sparks came back from wherever they'd been, and we married again. Sometimes I wonder if the entanglements, the poor handling of money, and all the stress that came with it made me better on the air. Was I scrappier? I'll never know. The only thing I can tell you is that the microphone was my sanctuary. I couldn't screw it up, and it was never going to stab me in the back. People could be calling me for money. My marriages might be dissolving before my eyes. Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. could be taken away from all of us in the blink of an eye. But when I stepped behind a microphone, I was in control. Larry King. <laughs> Ryan Jesperson, ladies and gentlemen. Also Larry King, I guess. We should maybe give him a hand as well. All right, so our next reader is a newsie in the truest sense. And it's not Karen Unland. I'm not leading into that. <laughs> Samantha Power is currently the news editor at View Weekly. She previously served as news director at CJSR FM 88.5 in Edmonton and dabbled in various forms of political protest from hanging bridge banners to running various student organizations. She's finally achieved her degree in political science and creative writing after an astounding nine years. Woo! Don't give up. It can happen to you. When she's not writing and researching news stories, you can find her at a local metal show or hosting her show on CJSR, Heavy Metal Lunchbox. Put your hands together repeatedly and rapidly for Samantha Power. Um, I have the honor of presenting this literary masterpiece from the Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> I present miracles. Woo! Woo! <laughs> if magic is all we've ever known, then it's easy to miss what really goes on. But I've seen miracles in every way, and I see miracles every day. <laughs> Oceans spanning beyond my sight, and a million stars way above them at night. We don't have to be high to look at the sky and know that's a miracle open wide. Look at the mountains, trees, the seven seas, and everything chilling underwater, please. Hot lava, snow, rain and fog, 
long-necked giraffes and pet cats and dogs. <laughs> and I've seen 85,000 people all in one room together as equals. Pure magic is the birth of my kids. I've seen shit. <laughs> That'll shock your eyelids. <laughs> the sun and the moon and even Mars. The Milky Way and fucking shooting stars. <laughs> UFOs, a river flows. You plant a seed and nature grows. Niagara Falls and the pyramids. Everything you believed in as kids. Fucking rainbows after it rains. <laughs> There's enough miracles here to blow your brains. <laughs> I fed a fish to a pelican at Frisco Bay. It tried to eat my cell phone. He ran away. <laughs> and music is magic, pure and clean. You can feel it and hear it, but it can't be seen. <laughs> music is all magic. Are you a believer in miracles? You can't even hold it. Do you notice and recognize miracles? It's just there in the air. Are you a believer in miracles? Pure motherfucking magic. <laughs> this shit'll blow your fucking mind. Do you notice and recognize miracles? Now music is a lot like love. It's all a feeling and it fills the room. From the floor to the ceiling, I see miracles all around me. Stop and look around. It's all astounding. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets. How do they work? <laughs> and I don't want to talk to a scientist because y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. Solar eclipse and vicious weather, 15,000 juggalos together. And I love my mom for giving me this time on this planet taking nothing for granted. I see a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. Miracles ain't nothing to lie. <laughs> Shaggy's little boys look just like Shaggy, and my little boy looks just like Daddy. Miracles are each and everywhere you look, and nobody has to stay where they put. This world is yours for you to explore. There's nothing but miracles beyond your door. The dark carnival is your invitation to witness that without explanation. Take a look at this fine creation and enjoy it with appreciation. Crows, ghosts, the midnight coast, the wonders of the world, mysteries the most. Just open your mind. It ain't no way to ignore the miracles of every day. Are you a believer in miracles? Because magic everywhere in this bitch. <laughs> Do you notice and recognize miracles? It's all around you. You don't even know it. Are you a believer in miracles? This shit's crazy. <laughs> Do you notice and recognize miracles? So many miracles, the magic miracles. So are you a believer in miracles? Do you have time for miracles? Do you notice and recognize miracles? So many miracles. <laughs> the magic miracles. Are you a believer in miracles? <laughs> Thank you.
This evening's honorary juggalo, ladies and gentlemen, Samantha Power. <laughs> It's the League of Extraordinary Media, TheEdmontonian.com, TrueBrittle.com, The Unknown Studio, User-Created Content. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a guarantee of quality Edmonton-based online content. If you're interested in joining or would like more information, visit LeagueOfExtraordinaryMedia.com. So Dan, welcome home. Welcome hey. back to Edmonton. Yeah, it's it's good to be back. Uh, I I was out today, and I it's, it was like you know, fourteen degrees out today, and I saw some guy in, in like a tank top and shorts, and I was like, ah, Edmonton. Yeah. good to be back. Was he getting into a truck that had bull testicles hanging from the back of it? Because that's when you know you're home. Yeah. Well, no, like I didn't see any trucks with dualies. Uh, I I was kind of disappointed actually. So what brings you to town? I mean, I know you're from here, mm-hmm. and your parents still live here. Well, well, you see, um, working in the media is not a way to get rich. No, it's um, not. And when you want to go to va- on vacation, you don't want a staycation. Going somewhere where you don't have to pay for a hotel is great. Yeah, yeah. So, so you are staying with mom and dad? Yes. Also, Edmonton is kind of awesome in the summer, and I kept coming back in the winter. When it's less awesome. Yeah. Y- There's you- a lot to do in the summer, not as much to do in the winter. Yeah. True. That's changing. That is changing. Mm-hmm. Gradually, very slowly, but it's happening. Um, you you came at the best time. The, the Fringe is going on yeah. as we record this episode. Oh, and uh, the the Toronto Fringe is headquartered right outside my house. It is sad and pathetic. Is it really? It is sad and pathetic. Now, I don't know the stats, but... Uh, the Fringe has broken several records, had broken even a record before it started again this season in that they sold out out of all of their pre-sale tickets before they kicked off. So, And Edmonton's is one of the largest in North America. I believe it is the largest in North America. I think it's... I want to I say it's the second largest in the world. I could be mistaken. I know the Edinburgh Fringe is the largest. It was for a long time the second largest in the world. I, I believe the Melbourne Fringe is now larger. Ooh, those Aussie bastards. Yeah. Can they? They've been out to get us really, yeah, since Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and you know why wouldn't you? We we got all the great weather, <laughs> and uh, well, we don't have deadly animals living yeah. in every yeah. shadow. But the most fearsome thing here is like a puma or a lynx, and they're actually really cute. Hey, let's let's give it to the grizzly bear. Those guys. Ah, can that's be true. Actually, those guys need to trim their nails. Really. <laughs> I think that's the main problem with grizzly bears. Mm-hmm. That and. That no. they're and they're alive. stealthy. Yeah, yeah. Just, the point is, yeah, we have a large fringe. Yeah. We have but a large fringe. The greater point is that Dan's here. Yay! Now, uh, when Dan knew that he was coming to Edmonton, he actually emailed us and, and he, he wanted to be on the show. You are the second person in the history of this show to request to be on it. The other person was also a newspaper type uh, by the name of Karen Unland from mm-hmm. the Edmonton Journal, one of our sponsors, and uh, and she did a good job. So. So that's the benchmark. Okay. I don't know if you listened to that episode. I, I did listen to that episode. I, I'm also a, a big fan. I, in fact, listened to the show, unlike most of your guests. That's cool. Now, uh, before we go to the thing that I was going to talk about, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> which we, nobody we knows keep, but me. We keep building up to it and then going it's, somewhere it's else. It's going to be really exciting, I promise. <laughs> um, before we get there, um, you had your own podcast for a while. It seems to now sort of Yeah, everybody on the podcast sort of got their own jobs doing sometimes similar things. Okay. So it kind of spread. Okay. Now, yeah. so you left Edmonton to go to J school in Toronto? Yes. I, I was going to move to Toronto anyway. Okay. Um, I, I actually moved to Toronto before I knew if I gotten into J school or not. Okay. Um, and, and looking back, most of the stuff I learned that I use every day during my job I learned at the Gateway here in Edmonton. Ah. The, the Gateway student newspaper, uh, in case you haven't listened to previous episodes. And for the uninitiated, J school means journalism school. Yes. So. Um, so, but yeah, it was a great experience. I met lots of people who will be my friends for the rest of my life. Um, and I networked a lot. Ah, networking. So, yes. I hate that word. <laughs> it's necessary. I know man. it is. But I always think of like blue Ethernet cables and <laughs> LAN parties. <laughs> People just took. So up why with, do you uh, dislike wireless? the term networking? I don't know. It, it just sounds so so um, uh, uh, sanitized and and too businessy. Mm. No, I'm, well then, what would you call it? Uh, um, Interfacing. Uh, chewing the fat. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what I'd call it, but I know I wouldn't call it networking. Quid pro quid pro quo. There you go. There you go. I don't know. I I didn't know Dan spoke Latin. Anyway, you pitched us a few topics mm -hmm. uh, w when you decided you wanted to come on the show. Among them were Star Trek, Star Obviously. Wars, Star Trek versus Star Wars, which could be a lengthy discussion. <laughs> um, now that you're in Toronto, you wanted to talk a little bit about this this sort of expatriate community of Edmontonians yeah. living in Toronto. I, I'd w I would love to hear about that. Um, you want to talk about working at the website of a daily newspaper and working at a dead tree newspaper. And here's an interesting statement from Dan. He doesn't think that anyone else from our uh, collective past at the Gateway actually works on a physical newspaper daily other mm -hmm. than you. Yeah, well, I, and, and I, I should point out there are people who work at papers. Uh, I'm specifically talking about a daily like there are people who work at alt weeklies and alt weeklies are their yes. own sort of thing yes. and i don't want to sort of denigrate on that oh we would never yes no although i do recall a previous guest pissing on the alt weeklies a little bit probably anyway um so there are a lot of edmontonians from our cohort as you mm -hmm. said uh living in toronto and they've all sort of formed this community together mm -hmm. what's that all about uh, well, I, I think that a lot of Edmontonians, um, at least like from our, our co cohort, looked to sort of form a diaspora somewhere else because they liked each other. And they, they, they thought people from Edmonton were cool, but Edmonton wasn't just wasn't kind of providing for them what they wanted out of a city. And, and what I find fascinating is actually it seems like there's fewer people who are doing that. Um, now my my group I, I'm I'm almost thirty, uh, and I'm one of the younger members of this group. Um, that it seems like the the option there was pretty much move out of Edmonton, move to Toronto because you know a lot of people there. Um, and if you look at sort of older cohorts of cool people, the creative class, as uh, Richard Florida would put them, although you know Richard Florida's kind of an idiot. He's a <laughs> um, anyway. That's a digression there. Um, <laughs> Uh, you look at the, the older cohorts in Edmonton, you know, you have Fish Krakowski who stayed, and then a lot of sort of 
luminaries have already left. If you can, you know, they yeah. people who who are part of the culture scene, they went on to other cities. Like Stephen Notley is in Seattle now. Um, but then you you had like the Raymond Biesingers and yeah. the Trevor Andersons who stuck around. Mm-hmm. And, and and I find that more people are sticking around now. Like they they're saying, no, I don't I don't want to move. I want to sort of do my own thing here. Um, yeah, I, I don't really. Uh, that that was almost a not a sudden shift. It was mm-hmm. so gradual that it was yeah. barely noticeable. But uh, there, you're right. There was a period of time where a lot of our friends were moving to Toronto. A few of them uh, staked out a, a claim in Vancouver. There, was, there was kind of a a rush to get out of it. And for a while. I think a lot of that was because. And feel free to disagree with me here, guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, getting a job in journalism in this city is much more difficult than a place where media centers like mm-hmm. Vancouver and Toronto. I'd agree. I would not disagree with that yeah. at all. I, I would go even further than that. It's not It's not just journalism, but any sort of ur- urban creative-type job mm-hmm. uh, is difficult to get in Edmonton. Yeah. Not impossible. I as mean, a, there as are a, limited opportunities. Yes. As a person who uh, who's at least sort of plugged into the theater scene, I can say that that's absolutely true there as well. Yeah. A lot of people would rather go to Toronto or to Vancouver to get involved in theater arts and film and television, respectively. Because those are centers for that. Whereas Edmonton has a theater scene and has a film and TV scene, if you know where to look for it. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly not as pronounced as either of those two areas. But the, the interesting thing is in Edmonton is that the theater scene, like there are more theaters per capita in Edmonton uh, than there are in Vancouver. But why would Van... And, and yet Vancouver has a more prestigious arts scene. Yes, yeah. it's because for some reason people think that they they can't sort of finish in Edmonton. Yeah. That they, they have nowhere to, they have nowhere to advance in Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. There's no such thing as like Broadway in Edmonton, right? Yeah. Where do, where do those actors and actresses in independent theater go? The Citadel? A lot of people, no offense to the Citadel, but they, the young people, or I'm probably speaking a little bit out of terms. Some people view the Citadel as this sort of staid uh, institution of old patrons, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe they feel like opportunities abound in other cities. But but then again, then you've got guys like Chris Craddock who've decided to stay here, owns a theater. You know, um, uh, your pals in Apocalypse Cow, Scott, they're doing stuff in Edmonton. There's a lot of... And, and there seems to be an, an in, a reinvigoration of energy in a lot of those scenes. Um, we've witnessed it in social media, Scott, yep. and, and in media. Absolutely. And... and and I guess you have in theater, the music scene in Edmonton seems to be... There, there, there was a bit of a lull, in my opinion, mm-hmm. where it wasn't as strong, and now it's starting to get stronger. Oh, that's another thing in Edmonton. There's far more of a music scene in Edmonton. I mean, there is one in Toronto, but in Vancouver, there isn't so much. I mean, there's a lot of bands who have sort of already kind of made it, who yeah. moved to Vancouver. Yeah. But up-and-coming bands, not nearly as much. Interesting. Um, that, that, that's not really true in Toronto. There's a lot of up-and-coming bands, and they probably should move somewhere else to make it before they come back to Toronto. Because if in your in Toronto you can see a really great like big act that just had a cool CD come out in a 500 uh, seat uh, venue, and yeah. that happens every single weekend. Yeah, I know. I so, know. It's a shame that we don't get that here. But yeah. Um, so. As someone who thinks, or you seem to, to notice that Edmonton is undergoing, mm-hmm. I don't know, a bit of a, call it a cultural renaissance, yeah. uh, does it make it a more attractive place to you as an expat, 
or as as not an expat? What do you think when you it, come here? It does it does make it a more attractive place to me as an expat. I, I think it it's still. It, I mean, it still isn't nearly as urban as 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 I quite like it. I mean, I, I when I came here today, um, when I was informed where I needed to go, um, <laughs> it's unknown. <laughs> um, I, there there was just sort of a, a casual acceptance of the fact that I would have to drive here, and, and that's weird. If in Toronto, you actually can get place to place uh, without having to drive. Yeah. There's a there's you can cycle places you can the transit works when it isn't falling apart, <laughs> um, and there's the culture of that. And I, as one of the least dense cities in North America, I I think Edmonton is still a long way away from sort of having the the vibrancy of a core uh, in the way that uh, I I agree. I, I think in our lifetimes. Um, the core will get denser and people traveling into it with using transit, you know, that's mm -hmm. going to increase. But, uh, but it's a long way before mm -hmm. Edmonton is a, is a city that even approaches something similar mm -hmm. to what Toronto has. But, and uh, that's, you know, that's just the character of the place, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like you look at local politics here and they're surprisingly sane. I mean, uh, you know, the airport fight in, in Edmonton, Imagine if every single thing that city council did was the airport fight, and that's city council in Toronto. It's that, that... Uh, it's stupid. Like, really? I mean, uh, th there's fighting about bike lanes, and everybody so, uh, gets so partisan, and there's so much uh, in the way of identity politics that n nothing really ever gets done, and people just yell at each other. It's, uh, it's I don't know. Are, are parties involved at the municipal level in Toronto? Yes and no. Officially, parties are not involved, but there is a left-wing block, a right-wing block, and a crazy block. Uh, some people would argue the same thing, I think, for Edmonton, though. Y yes, but to I a mean, certain extent. Yeah. You look at Edmonton, and, and Mayor Mandel is a little bit right of center. Iveson is a little bit left of center, but they're both pr pragmatists, right? And they both... <laughs> the crazy people don't think so. <laughs> and, they, and they both want sort of to... They're willing to get down and go into the nitty-gritty technocratic details that are needed to run a city. And and they're willing to compromise in order to yeah. uh, put forward a, a, a good future for the city. And I have it on good authority that sometimes they're not very happy about compromise, <laughs> but that they understand that it's part of the process. Yeah. Which I think a lot of politicians seem to have lost sight of at some point. It, it's just a different philosophy of going in. It's Are you going in saying... I want to make a better city, or are you going in saying, uh, I have this ideology and I need to form the city into that image, uh, whether it works or not? I think that's... I don't know. I'm struggling with this question with Edmonton, you know, because I think that some people view, like, call them the right wing or, or the traditionalists. Mm -hmm. And let's let's talk about the airport because it's, mm -hmm. it's the low-hanging fruit. I think that a lot of them think that the people in favor of closing the airport are doing so because of a leftist ideology. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily correct. I think that it's 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 not that simple. That, and I find that municipal politics, by and large, aren't that simple. Yeah, and I always see it sort of framed in a right-wing kind of way. You know, that land is being used inefficiently. Yeah. It could be used far more efficiently as mixed-use residential. That would make more money for the city. How is that a left-wing argument? I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. 
Well, because you introduced the green part of it, right? Yeah. We want it to be sustainable, lead certified, all that. We want LRT yeah, going through. Yeah, but you don't it. you don't make the green argument to right wing people. You make the argument I just made. Yeah, well, but there, you know, I don't know. It, it, I've I've been paying attention to it and deliberately staying out of it because it it turns into these big straw man things, and mm-hmm. I'm not even sure from day to day whether or not people are are debating that core issue. It certainly doesn't seem like it a lot of the time. Well, and and the Wild Rose Party has co opted the issue as a way to get people angry through identity politics, Yeah, basically. Yeah. Even though it, they are doing so from Calgary, which <laughs> makes no sense. Well, you know, everyone's got to have a say, yeah. I suppose. Um, so is the perspective on Edmonton from, from the, the eastern part of the country, the center of the universe, as you said, uh, still that, I guess Edmonton probably doesn't really hit the radar, but Alberta still considered extremely right-wing by people out east? Yes. And, and that we're... Absolutely. Yeah. Edmonton we are is still a place that might be north of Calgary. We are still uh, <laughs> perceived as the Texas of Canada. Yes. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeehaw. That's why we have testicles hanging from the pickups of our. Trucks. We're really not helping the. To, uh, to, no, to be no, fair, I don't, in Texas, I don't think they have dualies on their trucks. I don't think so either. They're because they have a little more class than that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Zane. Oh. This, is, this is sad. It wasn't supposed to turn into a slag <laughs> fest, but. Uh, but uh, do, so do you, are you able to keep up? Obviously, you are on a lot of the news in Toronto. Does yeah. the rest of our, our group of friends, the Edmontonians that you know living in Toronto, are they still keeping tabs I, on I, the I don't. I don't think that they're as hooked in as I am. Um, I, I mean, I follow a lot of Edmonton people on Twitter, which is sort of the way I keep hooked in. Um, but I, I'm also uh, sort of fascinated by just the way that Edmonton city politics work, because... Toronto city politics so do not work. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of when I went to Ryerson, so, sorry, Ryerson, uh, it made me really appreciate the U- University of Alberta just in how well it's run. Really? Uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things you don't really realize until you go somewhere else. Hmm. And it's not to say that Ryerson is especially bad or Kafkaesque, even though it is. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, that, um, it's, it's that the U of A is just subtly easier to get things done. Ah, uh, the subtleties of the U of A. Yeah. Really. Yeah, that's why I spent five and a half years there. Five and a half? Yeah. Low. Well, <laughs> five and a half as a student. Mm. Don't forget, I, I uh, well, I guess I'll admit it to everybody right now. When I was editor and chief of the Gateway, there was one semester where I wasn't a student, where I was actually breaking the bylaws. So can I be posthumous no i'm not dead so can i be post just like stricken from the record yeah like i never existed they, they blank yeah. out your picture on old issues i think that on wikipedia my name should just have a strike through that's yeah. that's the only way to handle that. that 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 makes me feel really stupid for paying for that one course that i really didn't need well i needed mine mm. i see so that no wait i didn't i didn't <laughs> so i did take one and that was the other one no mm-hmm. terrible terrible i'm sorry people mm-hmm. who are working at the gateway don't do that wrong (laughs) don't ask your friends to hide it from everyone either we're going to continue sharing a a few more bits from our birthday bash uh coming up we've got colin mcintyre he's one of the hosts of making whoopee on cjsr it's also available as a podcast and uh he's reading an excerpt from uh, something written by a rather famous British Spice Girl. And then Mostly Water Theater's Trent Wilkie uh, with a hilarious piece out of Tom Arnold's autobiography. Again, we apologize for the sound quality, but hopefully you enjoy it. We're going to have our next reader come up. And I just made eye contact with him in the audience. It was very, 
awkward. It was terrible. But uh, it is Colin McIntyre. He's sitting right over there. Uh, he's from Saskatchewan. Hold your booze. He likes chocolate milk and hilarious kitten videos. He is one of the world's leading authorities on the Asia League ice hockey uh, and co-hosts a morning show podcast called Making Whoopie on CJSR. You can follow him on Twitter. In fact, I encourage you to do so because he is insightful and hilarious, both. And uh, he will make fun of soccer and complain about blackberries there. He, you can follow him at twitter.com slash thecollinium. It's Colin McIntyre. Thank you very much. Uh, big thanks to Sally and Jeff and Adam and Scott for inviting me to come. This is like a who's who of people who, uh, who, who tweet on stuff. So it's an honor to be in a room with all of you. Uh, so yeah, so to reward you all, and you know, as, as a big thank you, I'm gonna read uh, from the uh, bestseller and timeless classic, um, soon to be in Alberta high schools everywhere, uh, as um, reading for grade 10s. This is Just for the Record by Ginger Spice, Jerry Halliwell. I'm going to try not to break into a British accent, which, which floats in and out. But despite some bad experiences, I still definitely believe we are meant to go in pairs, and that most of us are on the lookout for a mate. Maybe I should try to follow my mother's simple wisdom in this area. When looking for the right man, look at him as a tree. Does he have good roots? Does he bear good fruits? Will he offer you shelter and shade? Only solid oaks and apple trees then, mum? No weeping willows. Qualities I want in my man. Loves his mum. Straight. Dependable, trustworthy and kind and thoughtful. Same wavelength. Sexy and good-looking, funny, good sense of humor, affectionate, loving, expressive, <laughs> likes kissing and sex, grounded but romantic, healthy, non-addict, <laughs> virile, wants a family, soon, average to tall build, fit, possibly athletic, but not obsessed, loyal and monogamous, be able to afford first-class travel, healthy bank balance, bigger than mine. <laughs> Generous and caring. Has free time to be with me. Looks after me when I'm sick, brings me soup, holds me, supports me. Age between 28 and 38. Likes my dog. Accept, accepts me for who I am, me, with or without my fame. Accepts and loves me regardless of my body size, fat, and thin. He is respected and admired, has earned prestige and honor in his own right, can be famous or not, fame doesn't matter, has faith in God, wants marriage and commitment, is honest and upfront, admires me, respects me, treats me like a queen, yet we're best friends. <laughs> Sensitive but sensible. But of course, this is a generalization, and I'm open to exceptions to these rules. I'm prepared to be flexible. Thank you. So, gentlemen, you know where to get a hold of him on Twitter. 
Thank you, Colin. Okay, uh, so there was a reason why we started with Josh Clausen and Ryan Jesperson and those guys. That's because we were saving the best for last. Uh, and uh, that best goes by the name of Trent Wilkie, ladies and gentlemen. Trent is a freelance journalist and writer-performer with Mostly Water Theater. Uh, Trent has written for CBC Radio's The Irrelevant Show, C Magazine, NinjaVideo.net, Merge Magazine, and various other media. Also, Trent is a canoe and raft guide, has spent way too much time in the wilderness, and is therefore socially maladjusted. <laughs> Trent likes ideas and doesn't eat anything he doesn't trust. Ladies and gentlemen, Trent Wilkie. Does anybody here know Matt Stanton? I work with Matt too. Have you seen him naked too? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's frustrating, eh? What's with that weird breast on the back of his neck? <laughs> yeah, for dancing my ass. Uh, how many people here have never raised their hands before? Good. Oh, nerds are smart. <clears throat> so we've uh, had a lot of fun tonight, a lot of comedy, a lot of jokes, a lot of yucking it up. I wanted to bring it down a bit here. When I read this, I want you to think of strife. Uh, Post-colonial altruism, existential nuances, and people who don't deserve what they have. From Tom Arnold's How I Lost Five Pounds in Six Years, page 124 to 125. <clears throat> I'm gonna fucking cry. <sighs> That's how it started. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, everybody. Calm down. The infamous battle of the parking lot space against the Seinfeld cast. I actually do have a bad leg. This isn't for, uh, for beating people. Unless, shut up, Trent. You shut up! Roseanne, The Jackie Thomas Show, and Seinfeld all filmed in the same lot, CBC, MGM, and Studio City. And all of us big stars had our own parking spot with our name on it, which is why I became very frustrated when someone had parked in mine. It was a huge pain in the, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that word, to call security. Actually, I never personally called security, but I did have someone to tell them to do it, which <laughs> is still a moderate pain in the, I'm not gonna say that word, and have the car removed. On the fourth day in a row of being violated, I took matters into my own hands. Clint Eastwood, one of my many idols, once rammed his pickup into a car that infiltrated his territory at Warner Brothers, and I considered doing that, but with a new, mint custom 57 Bel Air convertible and all, I decided an ugly note might work just as well. So I wrote, how fucking stupid are you? Can't you fucking read? Keep your car out of my fucking spot. Love, Tom Arnold. <laughs> Directly to the point, during rehearsal, security came and said they had located the offender and I could move my car into its rightful and much deserved spot. The story doesn't end there. Normally, I would have my assistant. Is that not just, like, Jesus Christ, Tom. Get a hold of your shit. I could have my assistant do this, uh, do this kind of dirty work, but I wanted to see for myself what kind of jackass, okay, I ended up saying the word, I uh, was dealing with here. My golf cart, I wouldn't, so many parentheses, I couldn't walk, it would, must have been 50 feet, approached the scene. A crowd had gathered, including Seinfeld's own Jason Alex. He told me that his lovely co-star, Julia Louise Dreyfus, had been the scoundrel and took my spot. He also said that he wanted to speak to me. She wanted to speak to me. 
she stepped forward with my note and said, hey, uh, and then I said, hey, don't worry about it. It's okay. I had no idea it was you. But it's not okay, she shot back. I'm offended by your note. This may have been the worst apology I've heard in my life. So I said, that's too bad because I'm offended by your parking in my fucking space. Jason and the rest of the Seinfeld posse, while hiding behind Miss Louise Dreyfus, got nervous, and she and her support group scurried away, leaving me to ponder aloud, the nerve of that arrogant bitch. I must report this to Rosie immediately. He probably actually said that aloud to me. He's such a hero. So I golf carted to stage two, told my tale, and Rosie wanted blood. With the help of Laurie Metcalf and John Goodman, a plan of retaliation was devised. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> they forced her into a smalt and shot her into the sun. Just kidding, everybody. The set of a television show can be a boring place, so you have to invent your own fun. Roseanne carried out the counterattack 15 minutes later when her limo, parentheses, she couldn't be trusted with a golf cart, unparentheses, pulled up to Julia's car and America's favorite mom climbed out and wrote, Julie Louise Dry Puss. What she did there was she... wrote Julia Louise Drypuss in soap on the windshield and left a picture of a big man's naked ass under the wiper. Seinfeld co-creator Larry David still has John Goodman's good side framed in his office. Thank you very much, everybody. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out the Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. No rules, no censors. It's Adam Rosenhart Unleashed. So this rant goes out to all the parents out there who think that they can let their kids out of the house at the end of the day and have their neighbors babysit them. I have a, uh, I live in a neighborhood that's full of children, which is fine. I don't mind kids. I just don't have any of my own for a very specific reason. I don't want any. Now, these kids will come by the house and uh, ask to play with our dog. Our dog is a rather large Husky Malamute cross, and uh, he can sometimes be a grouchy little guy, but most of the time he's okay. That's not the point. The point is that when these girls come over to the house, it's immediately after they see my car pull into the driveway after a long day of work. Now, I am not usually amenable to interacting with any kind of humanity immediately after work and therefore I get extremely ornery. Moreover, it's irritating because these girls want to come into our backyard and play with the dog. And, and I'm talking about girls that are about three and four years old. 
Okay, so that'd be great if their parents knew where they were, because I happen to know that they don't. The girls have told me as much. And it would be okay if those parents who knew where their kids were, were paying me to babysit them, because there's no way in heck, or hell, or any other scary place for that matter, that I'm going to allow two small children to be unsupervised in my backyard. But even that isn't the point. I don't want to become known as the dude from the neighborhood who invites little girls into his yard to play with his dog. Think about the euphemistic uh, uh, interpretation of those kinds of statements. It's not right. Besides which, if any, if either of those girls get into some kind of trouble in the backyard, they hurt themselves, the dog decides he's pissed off that day and bites one of them, it's my ass. My ass that gets in trouble. And then I'm facing a whole big world of liability. So, the other day I got to play bad cop and tell them, if you want to come into the backyard to see the dog, your parents must be with you. I was informed by the children that this would never happen. Their parents would never agree to come outside and play with them, which is kind of sad in its own way. But at the end of the day, I got my way, and the girls haven't been at the house since. So parents, I hope you know what your kids are doing, I hope you know which neighbors they're harassing, and I hope you know that they're putting themselves into situations where a less ethical person might invite them into their backyard. Pretty scary, I think. I'm Adam Rosenhart with The Unknown Studio. First sponsor has been with us since the beginning, and we like to call them the, the Edmonton, Edmonton Journal. Journal. That's right. Those ink-stained wretches have been sponsoring our show because they see something wonderful. And they don't mind us calling them ink-stained wretches. Well, I mean... Basically every episode. Yeah, well, and, and they'll, they'll be the first to admit that they're something approaching ink-stained wretches. Our other sponsor is Guru Digital Arts College. A really a, cool place. A fantastic training ground for... Uh, Design, essentially. Web yeah. design, print design, any kind of design. They teach you how to code in PHP and how to use content management systems. In fact, league member Sally Poulsen just graduated from there. That's true. And got a tremendous amount of training from them in a very short period of time. So if you're thinking of going back to school, you want to do something designy, gurudigitalarts.com. And our last sponsor, you heard her last week on the show say the phrase vajazzled vajayjay on two separate occasions. Brenda Kerber and the Traveling Tickle Trunk Edmonton's sex positive store. So if you're looking for toys, if you're looking for books, movies, any kind of resources around human sexuality, that is the place to go. Thank you to all of our sponsors. By the way, we, I think we can safely say, right here, right now, that the Unknown Studio gets 60s of listeners. Really? Yes. Yes. We are averaging about 618 downloads per episode. We're reaching a mythical milestone. When we hit 1,000, I will do something insane. He's not willing to... Uh set in stone what that will be at this time but suffice to say get your friends to listen adam will do something crazy might eat a sandwich with spicy mayo or uh, something. <laughs> i love spicy mayo 
I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll go bungee I'll bungee jump for charity. I I don't freaking know. Don't hold me to that. I'm terrified of heights, sort of. Not really. <laughs> anyway, I digress again. Uh, what else can we talk with Dan about? That's exciting. Well, what were some of the other topics that he proposed? Well, he t you, you'd mentioned Star Trek yeah. and Star Wars and pitting the two against each other. Mm -hmm. Now, we won't go to the what which one is better because that, I believe, is a question in our uh, Fast 15. It's true. Which we missed last episode, but that's okay. So we won't, we won't talk about that, but what can we talk about with Star Trek? What did you think of the new film? What did you think of J.J. Abrams' reboot of the Star Trek franchise? Well, it, it was basically um, a, a, a terrible script made very watchable by the charisma of its cast and director. Which basically describes many Star yes, Trek. a good portion of Star Trek. Like yeah. at least 63%. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your favorite part about the movie, aside from the, just the cast's charisma? Were there, in, were there moments in there that you really thought were great? I, I, I like that they, spoilers, actually had the balls to blow up Vulcan. I mean, I, that sort of surprised me. That was huge. Although it kind of broke the story a little bit, but uh, it eh. was okay. Yeah. It, was, it was them willing to uh, put their own stamp on the universe and mm -hmm. say, you know what? No, this is our own thing now. It's different. It's mm -hmm. different. Deal with it. They might not go back to the 1980s and get a couple of humpback whales. and But that doesn't mean they're not going to have awesome time travel space adventures. Yeah, no, that exists in a parallel universe now. If you want to keep following that universe, you can play Star Trek Online, uh, where it is uh, continuing the adventures of the blah, blah, blah. Have you played Star Trek Online? I have not I have played Star Trek Online. Have you, Scott? <laughs> Lord, no. Have, having the last performance of Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Uh, Spock. That's, that's on Star Trek Online. Yes. Wow. Well, uh, truly his last performance was in Vulcan, Alberta earlier this mm, year. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why did you say God no to have Oh, I, I have not played an online game, like a serious, massively multiplayer online game in some time. I've never played them because I'm afraid they'll take over my life. I did play them, and they did take over my uh, life, and that's why I no longer play them. Okay. So, so when Cataclysm comes out, uh, that's World of Warcraft Cataclysm in uh, the next couple months you're in, right? Uh, I'm going to try desperately not to be. Mm, I'll bug you. I can tell <laughs> that this is going to be a problem for you, Scott. And, th th and by I haven't this... played World of Warcraft in a very long time. But did you used to play with Dan? I did. We, oh, were, we were part of the Leaky Death Ship, which oh, was the... We were also part of OMGBs. Yes. There were two... There was a, uh, there was a Horde Faction Guild and a uh, Alliance Faction Guild. Uh, the Alliance Faction was the Leaky Death Ship and OMGBs was the Horde. And a whole bunch of gateway people were all playing World of Warcraft online. We have gone from mainstream popular culture into extreme nerdiness. There are 11.5 million subscribers to World of Warcraft. None of them listen to this show. Well, one of them does, and he's sitting in the studio with us. <laughs> I think that's a gross generalization. Yes, I, I guarantee there is at least one other unknown studio listener who plays World of Warcraft. And I want them to comment on the post on our website so that we know who they are. Yeah, yeah. So if you play World of Warcraft, you comment on the post. And you tell me what an idiot I am. Basically, that's what I want you to do. Because that is, that is how we roll. Right? Yes. That, that's how we roll. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeez. 
you know, tying this back into the unknown studio. Thank you, because um, <laughs> we certainly weren't going to do that. When, Wild when, tangent. When, when I was listening to the episode with Ben uh, a couple of days ago, it, it actually struck me as sort of funny because we basically do the, the same thing at our respective newspapers. And you both work for Post Media now. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, but Ben's actual beat is crime. Yes, but what, what I say is, uh, what I mean is we write about video games on the side ah. uh, for our sites, and it's basically the video game coverage for sets. So where can people find Dan Kazor's video game action on the National Post? Uh, you go to the National Post and search for Ampersand Arca- Arcade, and you probably still won't find it because the search is kind of... Mm. Yeah. But um, Will Google find Ampersand Arcade? Yes, Google, Google Ampersand Arcade. Uh, 95% of that is me. So. Wicked, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, if you're doing the pseudo-video game blogging journalism thing that Ben is doing. What are the games that you are looking forward to that are coming out up until Christmas? Actually, before you answer that, both of you, did you see the that Bioshock trailer? Bioshock Infinite? Yes. yes. No, I haven't yet. Okay. Uh, it, well, d- can we explain it to you? Do you, do you want... Sh- shoot? Spoiler alert, I suppose. Oh, okay. Uh, it starts sort of... Uh, in a underwater fly-through of, of Rapture from the first game. And then you realize that it isn't really Rapture. It's some guy's head getting dunked in a fish tank. And he gets his head pulled up, and he escapes from whatever's uh, holding him. It might and it, be a big dad. It he looks might like be a, a big robot. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's weird. And he, and he bursts out the window, and you see that he's in an, uh, a, a, a wildly fantastic flying city in 1912. And uh, with American flags everywhere. And yes, and, and and more sort of uh, Ayn Rand inspired uh, philosophy sort of being prepared. Uh, it looks phenomenal. It looks like what Bioshock Two should have been. So it's Bioshock: The Next Generation. Yeah, it's it's Maybe. it's done by the original team that did the first one. But they just changed it into a uh, flying city as opposed yes. to an underwater Skyoshock. And apparently this flying city, unlike Rapture, is known to the world. Mm-hmm. Well, it would have to be. It's up in the air. Right. But yeah, can't hide that. Can't hide that. Mm-hmm. But it, it is high up in the clouds. So so anyway, uh, back to Scott's original yeah. question. What are you looking forward to this year? A lot of what I was looking forward to this year came out already. I really enjoyed Mass Effect 2. Um, Final Fantasy 13. I was looking forward to. Um, StarCraft 2 just came out. It was awesome. Um What's in the rest of the year that I'm really looking forward to? Uh, Halo Reach. Oh, yeah. Halo Reach will be good. It's coming out. And yeah. the one that I am most looking forward to is uh, Fallout New Vegas mm. because I'm obsessed with Fallout 3. Yeah, uh, Fallout New Vegas is actually being developed by the guys who did uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2. So hopefully they finish this one because uh, <laughs> oh. they didn't really finish KOTOR 2. Sorry, guys at Obsidian. Damn. They better finish it. Other than just writing about, I mean, you, I'm, I'm guessing you don't just write about new games that are coming out. What Do you discuss issues in video gaming? And uh, I, I try to, um, but, you know, the, the most I've really gotten to at this point is dis- describing why the Prince of Persia movie was inferior as a story from the game. Which it was. It was like, I don't really say that, because games are really actually pretty bad at telling stories. Most of them. Not, yeah. not all of them. We yeah. had this discussion yeah. in, in our, like, second or third episode. But, yeah. but even even purely from, like, a cinematic standpoint, the Prince of Persia movie was an inferior sort of movie than the, than the game was. What about this ongoing desire to 
um, legislate. Uh, well, I'm not actually sure what the issue is now, but they're trying to legislate who can buy video games and make that process more draconian. Yeah, almost mm-hmm. by the sounds of it. Well, I, I mean that that's more a question of um, what kind of country does the United States want to be more than anything about video games, um, because it's clearly a First Amendment issue. Clearly, they should not be regulated by the government. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I, I think that the United States is becoming a country that is less enamored with the First Amendment. Uh, amendment. And I, I don't know. I, if video games start getting regulated in that way, I, that says bad, bad things about the United States to me. I don't know. I don't disagree with you. I, you know, the issue um, today, maybe not a few weeks from now, is this uh, construction of a Muslim community center mm-hmm. near the Ground Zero site. Mm-hmm. And actually, President President Obama came out and basically told Americans to relax. Freedom of religion ap- applies to all religions. His exact words were he doesn't necessarily... I shouldn't say his exact words. His mm-hmm. To paraphrase what his message was... He was saying he doesn't necessarily agree with the idea that they should build the mosque there, but it is his firm belief that they have every right to build mm-hmm. the mosque there, which is absolutely true and fair. And I agree with him on that note. I don't think that it's a good idea to build a mosque where Muslim terrorists destroyed 2,000 people, mm-hmm. but it is absolutely their right to do it. I, a couple things that I just want to say. Uh, first of all, it is you know two blocks away, which in New York is actually quite a bit of space. Um, and second, there there has only been one really good poll on this, which uh, parsed the question into two pieces. One, do you think there should be a mosque there? One, do you think they have the right to build there? And that actually showed that a, a good, a, a healthy majority of Americans believe that they have the right to build there, um, e- even though a healthy majority of Americans also think that they shouldn't build there. So I, I, I think this is basically... Uh, Again, right-wing uh, politicians in the United States using identity politics to fire up their base before the election. One last thing on American politics. Okay. How do you guys think Barack Obama has done so far? Given the expectations and the promises made, how has he done? That's, that's a complicated question. It is. Agreed. Um, I, I think that he has, in many ways, not managed his political image as well as he could have. I think a lot of the win, the policy wins that he's had are actually a lot bigger than people think. Agreed. Um, I think that his health care win was huge. I think getting stimulus through the first time, which unfortunate, like, he unfortunately had to burn a lot of political capital to do, um, but, but he had to do it. I think that was important. Unfortunately, he really needs to do another round of stimulus to make the first round worth it. Um, I mean, that, that that's questionable but it's i've seen i've seen it said in several places but i mean that that has become politically unworkable at this point um i i I think that ever ever, anybody who thought he was sort of a liberal super god really wasn't paying attention yeah he's always been a moderate he was not the the most liberal person running that was john edwards by the way he would have been great um but uh it, no, I, I think he's done pretty well. I don't know. Uh, I would agree with Dan. I think that Obama has done very well considering the situation he found himself in upon assuming the presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that he did as well as anybody could have in that situation. I can't imagine that McCain would have been as successful as Obama at this juncture in his presidency. Has he lived up to all of the promises he made? No, but that's because he's been doing a lot of damage control. Uh, Has he been uh, a good president? Yes, I would say yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, the, the biggest promise that he's broken uh, being closing down Gitmo, um, I, I honestly don't, I, like after reading about it a lot, I, I don't see legally a course of action that he has there. Like, like there's no chance he can close Yeah, it. like I mean he, he tried to, because the, where did those prisoners go? Yeah. You know, and some, and like I mean a lot of them are in there for re- really sketchy reasons, but at least a handful of them are hardcore terrorists. And you know, you don't really want to release those guys. No. Or let them slip through the cracks by giving them to someone else. Let's talk about another act of terrorism, the elimination of the long-form census here in Canada. I want to shift gears very quickly. We have a little bit of time left uh, before we go into our Fast 15. And I just, we've assessed the American presidency. How has the Harper minority government done, uh, especially given recent events with with the long-form census and uh, and prisons. The veterans ombudsman just got canned too because he was outspoken against uh, the bureaucracy surrounding veterans affairs and uh, getting them, you know, medical support for having gone and had their limbs blown off in the war because the government was treating them like industrial accident victims. Yeah. Uh, and he took offense to that and the Harper government took offense to him taking offense to that. So he was canned. So he wasn't fired, but his contract is not being renewed. Ah, yes. That's a, that's a common occurrence in the federal government. Yes. <sighs> is it bad that I feel sort of sorry for Tony Clement? Why? Like, uh, no, it's not. <laughs> but why do you feel bad? For him? Uh, it's just he got he got put in like the worst um, portfolio ever. And yes, uh, now that the emails are coming out to what his correspondence was with uh, StatsCan, it does seem that he was not prepared for this at all, that they they didn't even question what the reaction would be until two days before they released um, the the, the fact that they were going to do these changes to the census. But it just seems like nobody could nobody could get up and protect this and not look silly. Um, And the the response to it has been almost universally negative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like every organization that has any stake whatsoever in the, in the, uh, in the census has gone, this is the worst idea you could buy. Provinces have come out against it. Mm-hmm. Businesses have come out against it. Uh, Stats Canada, the, the guy in charge of Stats Canada quit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, I would rather not work for Stats Canada than you scrap the long form well, census. You see, he, the, the, the key thing was that the messaging was starting to go towards saying that it was StatsCan was okay with it. It was his idea. And he's like, no, that would ruin my professional reputation. I couldn't actually run StatsCan if people thought that about me. So So he quit. So he quit. I just, I just don't understand the decision. Like it, I mean, I, I understand that maybe it's, it's a pain in the ass to administer. The, the, the best explanation that I've heard for it is that, the liberals have been in power for a very long time in Ottawa, and they have basically structured the uh, the bureaucracy of of all the federal employees around themselves. It's a liberal structure, and a lot of that structure is informed by the census. So when the conservatives want to do policy initiatives that sort of go against that, the 
the bureaucracy, which is not necessarily on their side, will use census data to push against them. But the, so they're using data from Canadians to convince the feds that some ideas aren't good. That doesn't seem and, like and, a terrible thing. To and me. and then the feds' response to that is, we need less information from Canadians. Exactly. Like I mean, mm. I, I get what you're saying. I understand that that's the explanation, but. But maybe the bureaucracy is set up that way. Look look at it like right after Stockwell Day said, we need to build more prisons for all the crimes that aren't being reported. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's just so crazy. It's the same sort of thing where the stats are saying crime is going down and they're saying, no, crime is not going down. We know it's not going down because we feel that it's not going down. Because they have a magical crime sixth sense and they know. They they know that crime is on the rise. Now, I mean... There is some statistical truth to what he was saying, that the number of reported crimes went down from 37% in the previous census to 34% in the most recent one, and it was 40-something in the census before. But what that means is very nebulous. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it certainly, particularly on, on the census stuff, has not helped the conservatives in polling, the last poll that I read said they were only slightly ahead of the liberals. Mm-hmm. Ba- basically a dead heat. The I, I think this means that both of their numbers are pretty soft. Pretty soft. I yeah. mean, they both have a core of about 20 to 25 percent of the population that will always vote for them. And then there's the fuzzy. Honestly, um, in this country, until one of those parties, one of the moderate centrist parties, if you yeah. can call the conservatives and the liberals that, has a leader that is charismatic enough, only then will we be able to elect another majority mm-hmm. government. Yeah, they... they really need to not have Harper and not have Ignatieff. Yeah. And then they have a chance at maybe getting a majority. And the the other trouble is that the the parties hate each other too much. Really, what should be happening here is a conservative government being formed with um, a liberal minority like supporting it. Um, which is basically what happened in Britain. Well, yeah. But... Well, in Europe... They rely a lot on coalitions, yeah. and like if their governments would not function mm-hmm. without coalitions because they have so many political parties and they have so much of the population just uh, spread out all over the place on their on their support for those parties that no one would ever get a, it, a majority would be unheard of in like Germany. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need to have. A coalition. You need to have okay. We're the conservatives. We're teaming up with the uh, social, the socialist party, and the Green Party, and we're going to form a cabinet out of our groups, and we're going to make the government because otherwise there won't be a government. So, and and I think that's what people have been voting in. They've been voting in. We want the conservatives tempered by the liberals, but but they, that isn't possible. No, because they're too partisan. Yeah. So. What you're both saying is the likelihood of a charismatic leader coming out of the woodwork for either of these parties is low. Mm-hmm. What Canadians really want is for these two two parties, three parties, whomever. To cooperate. To work together. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, and we've actually handed them several mandates stating exactly yeah. that. And they keep just fighting. Well, they keep, and nothing it, gets done. It's highly politicized and they want to go back and get their majority because it's easier to get things done. But the, the problem is, is that I don't see I don't see either of them. I don't see anybody getting a majority for... 20 more years and I'm that's not even a joke I don't I don't legitimately see anybody getting enough support for a majority the the problem is they no longer are able to get any seats in Quebec basically yeah and the electoral math uh, breaks down at that point and the reason the liberals were able to get majorities before is because they just locked Ontario and they've lost that 
So Yeah, that's true. Wow. I didn't really think our conversation would sort of move into the political <laughs> realm, but I'm glad it did. From it's video cool. games, no less. That was the <laughs> hey, segue. That's, yeah. that's the beauty of the show. <laughs> An Edmonton perspective on really random shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're coming down to the, to the final minutes. I think it's time for you, Adam, to pull out your favorite part of the show. Oh, I don't think you know what that is, Scott. Or well, maybe you do. What is it? The Fast 15. So here we go with Dan Kazor visiting us from scenic metro city in central upper Canada. Um, the center of the universe, Toronto. Dan Kazor, a, a man of many talents, according to his bio. Well, the bio that I wrote briefly <laughs> before the show. So you know how this works. You li- yes. You've listened to the show. I, I decidedly uh, did not prepare to make my answers more hilarious. Good, good. Then let the hilarity begin. The Fast 15 with Daniel Kazor, number one, your favorite food. Uh, chicken nuggets. Your favorite color. Red. Mac, PC, or Linux. Uh, Mac with boot camp installed. Oh. Dogs or cats? Uh, dogs because I'm allergic to cats, but if I wasn't, cats. Coffee or tea? Uh, tea. Your favorite holiday? Christmas, but not in a Christian way. Your favorite sport? Uh, to watch by myself, tennis. To watch in a group, hockey. None to play? None to play. Okay. Your favorite pastime? Uh, playing video games. Your favorite music right now? Um, I really liked the new Arcade Fire. Uh, before that, I liked Florence and the Machine and... Um, yeah, I think that's sort of the my music of the now. Your favorite movie? I the, that's an impossible question. I, How about one of your favorite movies? Um, my favorite movie in the past year. Okay. Um, I really liked Winter's Bone. Uh, nobody's really seen that. It was like a film noir set in the Ozarks. Weird. Um, yeah, it's about this girl who has to find out who killed her dad, um, and basically all of her cousins are. And it's, you know, they're all people. suspects. Yeah, it's weird. Literal hillbillies. Cool. Yeah. Uh, your favorite video game, maybe from the past year, if you can't pick just one. Uh, best one this year, Mass Effect 2. I really like Mass Effect 2. Sure. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Yeah, invisibility or immortality. Immortality. Let's go immortality. Okay. Dan yeah. wants to live forever. Yeah. Because he yeah. wants to watch which one of the two, Star Trek or Star Wars? Um,. Oh, okay, we're talking just the um, the the movies or like full series? Everything. Everything, everything from Star- everything. Star Trek. Okay. Oh, phew. Dodge that bullet. And now we're on to our wild card questions. Your first wild card. What is your preferred video game system and why? Oh, man. I, at this very moment, I would probably say the Xbox 360, but just by a hair. I actually like using the PlayStation 3 more. Because of the Blu-ray and all that stuff? Well, the or? Blu-ray, it's, I, I think the, the UI is just a little bit better. They're both bad in different ways. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's just the, the, there are more games, more better games on the 360. Yeah. And finally, our last wild card question, what was your favorite movie or television robot of all time? Oh, favorite? Well, there's Bender and Data. I'm going to say Data. He's not a robot. He's an android. Ah, he's basically Bender. a robot. Bender is an excellent choice. He is. Bender bending Rodriguez. 
<laughs> it was made in America's heartland, Mexico. <laughs> yes. There you have it, everyone. Dan Kazor, The Fast 15 on The Unknown Studio. And next episode, we'll have more exciting guests and segments for you. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 31. Our guest, Daniel Kazor, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. Page editor, web editor, and cynic from the National Post in mm. Toronto. Skeptic. 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 Okay, skeptic. As I was uh, never an editor at the Gateway, I hate you both so much. You, you're really carrying that torch, Scott. <laughs> I don't know. I would. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting only when you consider that the torch is carried against you. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you, you should hate me. You, you absolutely should. Why are you, you carrying that torch? <laughs>